Your attention is precious. Pulled in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the benefit of Blue. Learn more at BenefitOfBlueSC.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, our op tempo is is nonstop. It's like if you imagine like a regular SWAT team and then probably mixed it with you know, like, uh, I don't know, like Rage, Ranger Regiment or something like that. We're kind of somewhere in between there. You know, you do a lot of regular Border Patrol stuff, but then you also, you're serving high-risk, you know, warrants for alien smuggling, drug smuggling. Such and such vehicle was spotted here. We need guys to go get eyes on it. And then a something landed at this house. We're going to serve a warrant. You know, you're supporting a lot of other agencies. Uh, one of the coolest things I got to do was the QRF on a Blackhawk for Trump when he came into a visit. We had two active shooters in Arizona. Dude just went into a place, opened fire on a facility, killed a handful of people, and then fled off into the desert. For us, you know, we're on bad guy time, so, you know, if stuff decides to pop off on the weekend, then, hey, we're, we're on the weekend. And yeah. Welcome to Mic Drop the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. He spent four and a half years on active duty with the Marine Corps, which we're going to get into. Uh, he spent the last 15 years with Customs Border Patrol, 13 of which with their special unit called BORTAC, which we'll get into as much as we can. He's collaborated with Call of Duty um, with his dog Rex, uh, which we'll talk about, as well as a uh, stint on the terminal list with Chris Pratt. He's the dude playing the dude disguised as the other dude. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Aaron Schweitzer. Now that we uh, got that out of the way, <laughs> that's an inside joke that you guys aren't going to be privy to, and uh, that's the way we like it. Uh, what's the last full book that you read? Oh, man, like actually physically read or audiobook? Physically read. Man, that's been that's been a long time. But actually, it was uh, God. It, it's been almost twenty years, man. No shit. Um, yeah, it's uh, last actual book was probably the Pirate Hunter. Um, mm -hmm. I read that on ship um, back when I was deployed. So, I, so if it's been that long since you've read a physical book, what's the last audio book that you listened to and, and finished? Ah, that's the Jack Carr series. Yeah, you know, gotta go there. So Had a little uh, prep prep for the work. Yeah. Now he's. Have you read all of them? I haven't. I haven't listened to all. He you know he sent me he sent me out all of them. Um, and I haven't gotten to the last two. Um, but yeah, I spent a lot of time in the truck, so I I listened to those audiobooks and yeah. God, he's there's been times where I, you know, you get home and and. I find myself sitting in the freaking driveway of my house 
because you know just listening to the next chapter so yeah. there's so he's he's a he's a master yeah. of his work he really is i mean it's, it's amazing to see him at that level of like tom clancy and you know any of the big big authors that are household names like and, and the fact that you know his first main series got made into a, an amazon series and i'm pretty sure they're going to do a, a season per book or at least the next book is is scheduled to be to be done so it, yeah it's fucking great um <clears throat> what is your favorite childhood memory i know it was a, a bit tumultuous but man um god childhood it'd either be you know just all the hours uh spending you know playing football i yeah. mean my front yard at my house we had bermuda grass back in kansas and our front yard was the the community football field so like every single football game you know it was you know, pickup game was played in our front yard and so it was just it was dirt yeah you know, it was just a dirt front yard so definitely the hours playing football yeah. with the kids did you play any other sports you know back then you know yeah we, I, I played Play football right. you know i sucked at basketball but i still played uh, baseball ran track hated that yeah um but yeah it's much different back then you know now you've pretty much won maybe two sports but yeah I think it's also kind of a Midwest thing uh, back then also, or, or more so, because even like the coasts and, and down south, you know, like I think the Midwest, because there there's each high school only has a few sports and there's fucking nothing else to do there. Right. You know, growing up in Iowa was kind of the same thing. Like I played everything, you know, I, I swam. Swimming was, was kind of my main thing, but I played everything else, you know. Um, what was the best part of being a part of the terminal list? Man, first, I mean, it was a huge, uh, huge honor to to you know be asked to take part in that. I mean, the the, the lineup and you know being there with with all the dudes that were working on it um, was was pretty cool. Um, but uh, I don't know, man. It's uh, just the overall experience was just it was. Uh, I, it was, it, I just couldn't, you know, it took a while to grasp, you know, because yeah. we, you know, I'm just a freaking normal dude, man. And, you know, and I'm sitting there with Rex, you know, where they put us up in some high rise hotel in Hollywood. And, and, uh, I, was, I had a moment where I'm just sitting there and, you know, they had a bed there waiting for him and oh, everything. Shit. And I was like looking out over, you know, over Hollywood and, and it was just me and him. And I was like, like, dude, this is pretty rad. Yeah, you that's know? cool. Like, yeah, man, it's tough to beat. It's it's neat that they uh, kind of go out of their way to go above and beyond and, and do little things like that. That uh, that's special. Um, same question in terms of his involvement and, and your guys' involvement in the in the Call of Duty game, which uh, we've we've both collaborated on from uh, from talking before we went live. What uh, what what kind of stands out from from your time doing that? Um. You know, just the, like, how receptive people have been. Like, I had no, I mean, I was just on set doing uh, just some still photography for Call of Duty with, with uh, my character. And, you know, I took him with me everywhere. And then we just kind of, we threw him in a group picture at one point and then uh, with some of the other characters. And then next thing you know, like, uh, I think it was, I think it was like uh, season three three of modern warfare this is back in like 2019 um they asked that you know hey we need a dog for you know for this other character this rose character 
And so I was going up there to, I had to do a body double for, I think it was like Captain Price. And, uh, and so I took him along and he, that was his, his real, you know, like breakout, you yeah. know, was that he was, uh, on one of the, and I'm not, I'm going to get, you know, drilled for this, but I think it was one of the loading screens or something like that. I'm not super savvy on all of the yeah. terminology or the lingo on, <laughs> on the yeah. game, but shit me either. All right. Hey guys, I want to take a, a second to talk about ads. Um, and this is not an ad. This is me talking about the ads. I know that, um, you know, sometimes we get comments of, of people bitching about the ads. There's too many ads or they're too long or what have you. And I, I want to clear two things up, which is number one is that my slash our team's ability to bring you guests and, and bring them in and, and the accommodations and, and the entire process that it takes to produce these shows to the level with which we do uh, requires funding, you know, and the, the sponsors give us an ability to bring these shows to you. So while I understand that everybody wants zero ads and, and everything bunched together and, and what have you, this is how we, we bring this show to you. Uh, you know, we're a very small team. We're very fortunate to, to be able to do it, uh, but we do still have to, uh, to pay bills and, and bring that to you. So keep that in mind. That's the first point. And the second point is that I can assure you with 100% accuracy is that there is not a sponsor or a product that I talk about on here that isn't something that I use. Okay, that, that I either regularly use or always use or have used. And, and I refuse to budge on that. Okay, so we, we get uh, offers for, for sponsors regularly that, that get turned down because it's not stuff that I use or would use. So keep that in mind. Uh, have a little bit of flexibility in terms of our ads and, and realize that they're products that I believe in, that I stand behind, and they're what, what make this show possible. So if you support these advertisers, these sponsors, that is supporting the show. Thank you. What are the two key components for canine success? That's effective training and proper nutrition. Fueled by Team Dog brings those two components to your family and best friend. The perfect nutritional balance that results in a higher mental acuity, energy, overall vitality, and even an improved appearance. Every product you will find in my company's store was born from the battlefield and not from the boardroom. Let my life's work help you become your dog's hero. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it, uh, we'll we'll get a little more into that during the kind of chronological timeline. But uh, in in terms of morning routine, with what you do for a living now, being a border patrol BORTAC guy, what what does the morning routine look like for you on a on a normal day where you're in town? And so I did my homework. I knew you were going to ask yeah. me this, and I tried to come <laughs> up with something. And I'm yeah. like, man, there's I really don't have um with our our schedule and op tempo and all the stuff that we do it's tough to maintain a a normal uh morning routine but you know i'd say like on a on a, a typical day if we're just you know working the the typical six to four um you know i get up you know four thirty, have uh have some coffee you know and then uh just get my stuff together and usually you know like, living the, the life I do with the dogs and everything else and all the other stuff I have going on that, you know, I'm not the most prep person in the morning. So I'm usually yeah. scrambling, scrambling to get my shit together and then, uh, take some pre-workout, head out the door and, uh, get my workout in first hour and a half of the day. What does that consist of? Man, it's just like, you know, it's just, I've gone back to just more like just regular lifting 
and then uh, and then I've started to get you know I get on the stair climber. Yeah, I'll spend minimum you know twenty to thirty minutes on a stair climber, and I've I've been making that kind of a priority. Yeah, um, more so than you know the lifting. I've you know like guys our age doing this stuff for a minute. You know, you've yeah. got all your aches and pains. So the heavy lifting and piling on all the weights doesn't happen. It's more yeah. body weight and you know, motion, and yeah. I try to stretch when yeah. I can, but it's just yeah. a time thing, you know? <laughs> I know it. I, uh, so far this year, I've added, uh, like, better part of an hour of mobility in every fucking morning, or almost every morning. I mean, there's been a handful of mornings where, I, you know, schedule-wise or whatever, it didn't happen. Yeah, I, f- I feel a lot better when yeah. I do that. Dude, it's just the time crunch. Yeah. Is, no, it's been an absolute game changer. I mean, it's made a, I mean, a literal world of fucking difference for me in so many ways. Uh, but it is something I hate doing. I like I, I don't look forward to it as as bad as the cold shower. It's like I fucking hate doing it, you know. But I just make myself <laughs> do it every every morning. But uh, so your childhood, you grew up in Kansas. Yeah. Um, from from the kind of bullet point list that you sent over, it sounds like it was pretty. A pretty rough go. Uh, can you tell me, kind of from a synopsis standpoint, what your childhood was like and and how it was growing up in in Kansas during that time? Um, you know, it was it was it was kind of in looking back is it's you know I, I see a lot of stuff now. Um, at the time, you know, growing up, uh, you know, uh, we it was kind of like the, I, what I saw is, was the Beaver Cleaver family, you know, everything was great, but, um, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff going on that I didn't, I didn't realize. And, and it's not, I mean, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the worst house or anything, you know, anything like that. But, um, and looking back, man, I, I, you know, I, uh, you know, my, my, my parents had us involved in a lot of stuff. Um, by growing up with two brothers, and we were we were like completely different, like completely different. I was I was into football, sports, and stuff like that. My my older brother was he was in the marching band and in golf. My younger brother was into theater and stuff like that. But wow. um, you know, when uh, when my parents got uh, they got divorced, I think I was like eighth, eighth grade or something like seventh or eighth grade or something like that. They split and. Uh, you know, it was that like, you know, my older brother was out of the house, so he was basically unaffected. My little brother just like went into a shell and we never really, I mean, growing up, we didn't really get along a lot. So we, we fought a lot. And then I think that pro that probably contributed to our parents splitting and stuff like that. Really? But I, you guys fought that bad. Did it <laughs> fuck was, your parents up? Dude, we used to, we used to share this room, you know, we, my brother and my little brother and I shared a room and we had a line drawn between the, you know, between, you had, you know, it was like, there's a corner fed room, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I had, I had the, uh, the bed on the far side that had a, uh, had the closet over there, but I had to enter through his, through his door. And it's like when I'd enter through the door, you, you just had to brace because the remote was coming, shoes were coming, all <laughs> kinds of shits getting thrown at you until yeah. I made it to my safe space. And if he had to get his clothes out of the, the closet, same thing, man. It was Jesus. like, here comes all your shit back at you. But, um, man, growing up like that, we'd, you know, I think, I think it's normal, you know, back then. I mean, you, you get the, uh, you know, you get, 
your lashings, you know, um, uh, you know, today your parents would be thrown in jail for the stuff that we got, but you know, know. you get the, you know, the wooden spoon, you know, I saw a patch the other day. that said wooden spoon survivor. I was like, that hits home, (laughs) dude. (laughs) But I remember going out to, uh, the County fair, man, we'd go to, it was Reynolds real estate. You go out there and I fucking hated going there, man. They had this, this big 55 gallon drum and it had all these wooden yardsticks. And my parents would be like, all right, go, go, you know, you boys go collect up the yardsticks. And you knew, like, we knew what yeah. the yardsticks, they, they weren't going to measure that much shit. They were just going to yeah. break them over our yeah. asses. Jesus. <laughs> and both your parents were pretty hard on you that way? Yeah, man, we got, yeah. Yeah. Um, not, not one over the other? No, nah, it, was, it was, you know, of course, you know, if dad would be you know, doing the, the thing with his belt, you know, I mean, that's, I attribute my speed to that, you know, like, it didn't teach me anything discipline wise, which yeah. is, you know, I, I, I learned, you know, your parents teach you a lot, you know, yeah. whether it's good or bad or what, you know, how it shapes you when you're older. And I mean, I, like I said, I just, that shit just made me fast and taught me how to hide really well. Yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah, that's a trip, man. Um, in, in terms of the, the time you spent well, so your parents got divorced in eighth grade, uh, and then in high school, it, did you focus more on football at that point? Yeah, that was. Um, I think that's where there, that's where my brother and I were different. Is you know, like I was very involved in in sports and, and especially football. Like my 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 boys were, you know, my brothers were all you know football, and that's all we. You know, that's all we did. You what, know, what town in Kansas was it? It was Abilene, yeah. Kansas. So it's like um, hometown of President Eisenhower. That's oh, like sure. the big thing. It's they have the presidential library and stuff there. It's oh. really cool. Um, which at the time I didn't think it was all that cool, but now when I yeah. you know I go back on occasion, it's like really cool to walk through that. And sure. So, um, what was the population of that? It's like six, like sixty five hundred maybe. Oh, wow. Um, so a small, a smaller town, you're focusing on, on football. Was there a, a catalyst for you in terms of wanting to serve? Like what was the, the day that you're like, fuck, this is what I want to do. I want to join the military. I grew up, you know, my dad was, my dad was, um, he was in the army, um, long, you know, before I was born, he did two tours in Vietnam, uh, with a hundred and first and 82nd airborne. Um, so I always had, you know, I grew up with uh, my whole, you know, all the men in, in my family uh, served. And so I had a great respect for the military, but I really didn't, um, I wasn't set on it um, until after, you know, I went to college and uh, I went out for football and that didn't work out. And then I just kind of had a, uh, I, I, it just came to me one day, you know, I was, I was originally going to go, um, I wanted to go to Bud's like everybody else. Right. (laughs) So I, uh, I actually was talking to a Navy recruiter there in Kansas city. It was, it was middle of the winter and, uh, I was set to go in and I was going to sign all the paperwork and everything. And I, and I'd been prepping. I mean, I'm, you know, it's middle of the winter in in Kansas. It's freaking snow on the ground. I'm out there running, uh, which I hate running, uh, swimming, swimming my ass off. And, um, I went in there, I was set to sign up, go in there and, the doors locked to the Navy recruiter. I'm like, dude, it's, he said eight o'clock. I'm here, you know, like eight 30 rolls around. And finally this, and it's, I mean, it's like blizzard conditions out there. Uh, 
the Marine Corps recruiter opens his door. He's like, hey, devil dog. And we got like, some hot coffee. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, what are you doing out there? I was like, well, I mean, he goes, let me guess, waiting on the, waiting on the Navy. I was like, it's <laughs> like, yeah, you know, just, uh, you know, I'm getting enlist today. And he goes, let me guess, Navy SEAL, right? I'm like, yeah. like, well, that's, you know, that's the, that's the plan, you know, hopefully. And he goes, well, come on in here, get out of the cold, you know? Yeah. And I'm at a point, you know, in my life there where, you know, I was working at a casino, working at bars and just, you know, I'm 24. And, uh, I was like, <clears> all right, well, I go in there and I was just ready to sign, dude. I was ready to do something challenging. And he's like, have you ever heard of Force Recon? And I'm like, nah. He's like, well, you remember in the movie The Rock where, you know, the Navy SEALs came in there and then the guys that came in and kicked the shit out of those guys? Well, that's, you know, that's Force Recon. I was like, yeah. I'm like, okay, where did I sign up? No. <laughs> no, but I was like, you know, he started showing me some stuff and talking and stuff and everything. And I was like, I was like, at that point, I was like, dude, I'm, I'm just ready to sign this shit today. So. Yeah did that and and just um went that route um i guess so before we get into into your time in the marine corps um your time in college that preceded that you you walked on to play football right right yeah um what what, what was that experience like coming from um just playing football in high school and kind of the jump from high school to college football i mean because it's a pretty prestigious institution in this country you know college football is, is pretty highly revered what was your experience like with it for me, um, you know, going from high school and I look back now and it's like, dude, I, I was, I was gifted, uh, athletically. I, d I was very, um, I was lucky that, you know, I didn't back then, you know, I, we didn't have strength, a real strength and conditioning program. We didn't, every day was a max bench day, you know, in yeah. the weight room. And so we didn't have, you know, kind of what they have today. And so I didn't, I didn't feel I worked as hard looking back now, if I would have worked so much harder, I, I think, uh, you know, it'd been a lot more, uh, or a lot better, but, um, you know, I, I had some offers at smaller schools and stuff like that, but I had, I had a dream to, um, to go play at Kansas state. Um, you know, as a, as a, you know, elementary school kid, I, I looked, you know, Kansas state sucked really bad. And I was like, me and my best friend and, we're like, we're going to go there and we're going to make them good, you know? <laughs> but by the time I got there, man, they're like, you know, they're, they were a top 10 team and, and, uh, yeah, it, I was irrelevant, you know, yeah. but I went there, I walked on for spring ball, um, made the team and then, um, what position? I was a linebacker. Yeah. Um, but it, we, my family, you know, the, you know, the, <clears throat> looking back, man, it was, you know, um, uh, a lot of stuff going on in my family between my parents and, you know, I'm a, I'm away at college, but you know, I got cut off financially pretty much, uh, as far as college, I wasn't a scholarship athlete. Um, and you know, so I, I didn't have the funding come in. I didn't have really the support so much, um, at 19 and, uh, and I, and I also, you know, a lot of it was on me too. You know, I mean, I, I totally embraced the rock star, you know, lifestyle. I was, you know, going out partying all the time, and you know, you got the free pass into all the bars at nineteen and soaking it up. And yeah. next thing you know, I'm on academic probation, and and then uh, I got I got mono the last. I was like the last two weeks of school, and yeah. and uh, dropped a ton of weight. And coach wanted me to stay up there uh, to work out during the summer, and I was like, oh, I'm going back home. You know, go back home, be with my friends, and and got into it with my my mom one night and 
I was just like, fuck everything, man. I'm taking, I got 65 bucks in my pocket. I've got my little Kawasaki Ninja loaded up a backpack and just moved to Kansas city and started working in bars. Oh, you know? So yeah. And then and how, how long did you do that for? I did that until, well, until I was 24 yeah. and it, it wasn't until, uh, God, I was working at the casino doing valley parking, man. And, and, you know, living paycheck, paycheck and, and partying it up. And, and it wasn't until like two things hit me at that time. And it was, um, one was, you know, my, my best friend at the time hit me up and he's like, man, you know, graduated veterinary school and I've got this awesome, you know, practice I'm going to out in Vegas. And I was like, dude, like, yeah, I'm parking cars, man. You know, <laughs> not to take away from dudes that are yeah. doing that, you know, it's a good transition, but, and then the, then the, the other thing was, you know, the day that really got me was, you know, my, my college football coach, uh, uh, Brent Venables, who's now, I think he's coach at, uh, OU. He came in, pulled in and, you know, I helped him and he like stops and looks at me. And I was just like, it was just like a look of total disappointment and disbelief wow. of like, Oh, that's where you went. Oh shit. You know, and I'm sitting here like, you know, and that, that hit me, man. Cause you know, I'm like, you know how, I mean, guys like us, you know, it's like, dude, being somebody being disappointed in you, like yeah, that, that, you know, that really hits. So, and that's when I, you know, I was like, dude, I got to go, I'm going to go do something, you know? And that's when I signed up for the military. Yeah. So, uh, two quick questions. Uh, what's the coolest car that you've allayed? Man. Um, I would say the, Parked almost everything, but yeah. the uh, it was a '99 Dodge Viper GTS. This guy, he was a regular, came in all the time. He had it hooked up to the T, yeah. and he was—I mean, he was an older guy. I mean, he was probably uh, maybe seventy at the time. He had a, he had a whole array of sweet like supercars and stuff. Yeah. But he would just rip that thing all the way down the driveway, you know, that's on the awesome. way out. We just loved it. But he was always he was always super cool yeah. with us. Uh, that's fucking cool. Yeah. I mean, those are classic. I, I remember growing up, uh, really liking the, the Vipers, but, um, what was the CC on your bike? Was it a leader bike? The, oh, that one was, that was just a little 600 R. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. The, Still, that was the same one. In, you know, the Maverick Mavericks, yeah. you know, Top Gun. Yeah. <laughs> that's why it was. Is that why? Yeah. 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 yeah no, sure. I was, had to have that. Yeah. You know? Did you ride much growing up? I, I didn't ride at all really until <clears throat> my parents wouldn't let me on uh even on a, a dirt, dirt bike or anything you know so yeah but when i hit 18 man i bought that thing right out of the yeah you know, not knowing right how to ride it, it and just fucking no. <laughs> <laughs> do you ride now i do yeah. um i've yeah i've owned several you know leader bikes and yeah. ducatis and now i've got uh a good buddy gave me uh, i i got out of riding street bikes and harleys because you know, I've, I had two really bad crashes where I, I were I was hit by some uh, shitty drivers yeah. and uh, lucky to survive those. But I I kind of hung that up. And then uh, my birthday two years ago, one of my buddies gifted me a uh, it's an MV Agusta. Oh one, yeah, one thousand. Oh shit. And yeah, uh, the, the triple exhaust. It's got the quad exhaust. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so it's a track bike. We, yeah. you know, uh, I don't ride on the streets anymore, man. It's just, yeah. it's too, I, it's my passion, but it's too damn yeah. dangerous. And yeah. then I ride dirt too. So yeah. Dirt oh, bikes. Awesome. I got a level with you guys. Uh, I shave my sack. Yeah, I said it. Uh, it's smooth sack summer 2023. If you haven't heard already, uh, make sure that you're escaped from pubes to bum. That's right. This summer, keep your balls cool while looking hot with manscaped. 
been a big supporter of the show for a while now, and they're the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. And they're making sure that we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst into smooth sack summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code. Uh, The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare for that summer bod. They've built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming. The Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer has a cutting edge ceramic blade uh, to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin, skate, skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor. 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 Uh, that was not an accident. New multi function on off switch, um, and it gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Uh, this trimmer is also waterproof, so beach, lake, shower, uh, whatever, it will devour even the strongest pubes. Uh, now that you got the perfect haircut, I know I do, uh, use Manscapes liquid formulations to keep that freshness even at the hottest summer barbecues. Most importantly, use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, which is a real crowd favorite to stay cool in the heat. Uh, they're even throwing in two gifts for their Performance Package 4.0. That's the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. And uh, they're also throwing in some Shears 2.0, a nail grooming kit, uh, which is a stainless steel nail uh, cutter, tweezer, and grooming scissors. So if you throw in the code mic drop, all one word, you get 20% off plus free shipping. Manscaped, I've been using their stuff for years now, even before they sponsored the show. They've been a, a phenomenal supporter of the Mic Drop podcast, and this deal is amazing. Plus, again, if you use the code mic drop, it's 20% off plus free shipping. I don't know how you beat that. So... Take care of your undercarriage this summer with Manscaped. That's manscaped.com. Code Mike Drop, 20% off plus free shipping. Do it. All right, as you guys know, the lifestyle changes and the, and the fast pace that we live, uh, it makes it difficult to get in uh, you know, all of the vitamins, minerals, fruits, vegetables, et cetera. Uh, started working with First Form. Uh, it's a great company. Uh, everybody knows who they are, and, and uh, I've been trying their stuff for a while now, and I, I love it. Uh, in particular, their OptiGreens 50. It's a precisely formulated green superfood powder uh, that increases overall immune system support and digestive health. Uh, 80% of your immune system is located in your gut and digestive tract, so healthy digestion is essential for overall health and wellness. It's got 50 hand-chosen ingredients, um, and its taste and texture are like no other product. It's not gritty. It's got a sweet berry flavor. Uh, 100% of all the greens ingredients are grown and manufactured in the USA. Um, you know, for me, this is a, a really good one-stop shop to uh, to get all the extra stuff that you need. There's a lot of greens out there. This is uh, a product I stand behind, I take, I enjoy it, uh, and, and notice a remarkable difference in uh, just overall the way that I feel. My, my gut health and digestion is, uh, is noticeably improved. It's a green superfood blend. It's a phytonutrient blend. Uh, it's a glycemic balance blend. It's not going to spike your, your blood sugar. It's got digestive enzyme blends and probiotics in it. It's a great product. Uh, Andy Frizzella and, and First Form is a phenomenal company that uh, you know is very supportive of the veteran community. And uh, I just I can't say enough good things about him and the company. So OptiGreens 50, uh, just a, a great product. And uh, they're, they're a fantastic sponsor and supporter of Mic Drop. We'll definitely have some shit to, uh, to talk about afterwards. I don't <laughs> want to take the whole show up talking about uh, bikes. But um, all right, so 65 bucks in your pocket. Um, disappointed look on your uh, old coach's face. Uh, it was kind of the, the light switch. 
the Navy recruiter uh, doesn't fucking show up. And so there you are talking to the Marines. You signed that day. Yeah. Yeah. And how long was it between when you signed and, and left? God, I think it was like maybe maybe a month or two. Yeah. Uh, what did you, were you just kind of floating in between that? I was living on my <laughs> living in my buddy's garage, like sleeping oh, on my couch in the garage, wow, freezing your fucking dick off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, all right, so you go into the Marines. You spent four and a half years there. Um, where did you go to boot camp? I was at San Diego San MCRD. Diego. Um, anything stand out? Uh, you know that that was exceptional or surprising or of of note uh, with the the boot camp until you got into an operational unit process. Not really. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I was a honor man um, from uh, our guide from T day one through uh, graduation. Which so that was for me. That was um, I was proud of that at the time. You know, it was it was it was a, you know the pressure to to kind of be a leader through that and stuff and waking yeah. up getting thrashed every uh, every morning for yeah. everybody else's shit was. It was a lesson, you know, sure. it was good. I wouldn't trade it. Yeah. Well, I can imagine me being 24 and some, some college experience and an athlete and whatever. Um, they, I'm sure they threw you right into that fucking spot huh? and, and yeah. expected a lot. Did you find that being an athlete, um, I mean, was there any, any part of Marine boot camp physically that was challenging for you? Just the running, like the running, man. I, I suck at running. Like yeah. I absolutely, I'd rather swim somewhere than to run there, you yeah. know, and you and, and me both. Yeah, so the running, just the long runs, <clears throat> sucked yeah. for me, you yeah. know. Um, so from you graduate boot camp, and, and then ultimately, where did you go? Uh, from boot camp, I went to SOI. That was a few months. Uh, Which stands for what? School of Infantry. I was at uh, Pendleton. Yeah. Oceanside. So went there. Uh, I got a fracture in my foot like the last week. Um, so I was a grad hold there for like a month or two and missed my – uh, ARS date uh, on the East Coast. That's the amphibious, amphibious reconnaissance school uh, in Little Creek, Virginia. So I missed that date and rolled to uh, BRC in Coronado. So I sat there for like a month, uh, babysitting, you know, the new recruits coming in and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and went down to got orders to Coronado. You know, I was down there in the. Um, it was the. Uh, waiting for BRC uh, in 2000. So I was there for a couple, two or three months, just hanging out on the beach, Yeah, you know, hanging out at the Hotel Dell. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, shit, we were in Coronado at the same time then. Probably, yeah, 2000. Sure. Yeah. I think it was class 232 and 233, 234 were down yeah. there when I was down there. Yeah, the, the famous Discovery yes. Channel class. Yeah. <laughs> Every, everybody and their fucking mom knows about. Um, that's wild. Uh, all right, so you go, you wait for BRC basic recon course, then you ultimately go through it. Uh, what, what was your first unit that you went to after that? So they, they gave us a wish list, you know, and, uh, you know, I put, uh, first recon battalion, uh, California, put East coast and then Hawaii. Um, and so they sent me Okinawa. <laughs> <laughs> D none of the above. Yeah. What, uh, were you pissed when, uh, when you found that out? Or? Initially I was just like, I was like, I was kind of freaked out, you know, as I, I'd never, you know, hell the, uh, first time we went on a, uh, a beach run in boot camp, uh, that was the first time I'd really been and seen the ocean or been to the beach or anything like that since I was like five or something like that. I didn't even remember it. So, yeah. um, so Hey, you're going to go not only to Japan, but you're going to live on this tiny ass little Island, you know, um, 
it was just kind of a little bit of a shock, you know, yeah. I was a little bit kind of thrown back, but I got there and, and, uh, quickly fell in love with it. I mean, the, from a recon, uh, dude's standpoint, I mean, you're just immersed in the culture there. There's nothing else. You yeah. know, there's no, like, there's no, you know, uh, our base, I think there's one female and, you know, that is questionable if it was a female <laughs> or not, you know? <laughs> so it's like, you know, you're just immersed in the team culture and working out and PT yeah. and diving and no distractions. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was also in 2000. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Late 2000. So, uh, what was nine 11? Like, were you in Okinawa on nine 11? <laughs> yeah, we were actually, uh, we were, it was, it was, so it would have been late at night when we were there. We were actually up, um, we were, I was living in the barracks, um, 35, 35. And, uh, we were up there having a, a Madden tournament. One of the guys, you know, had saved up for months, bought the, you know, the large big screen from the PX that covered the whole entire wall of his, his, uh, room. And we were having a Madden tournament and then somebody, and we were all just hammered out of our minds, you know? One of the guys was like, hey, you know, the uh, 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 plane just crashed into the Twin Towers in in, in uh, New York. And and we didn't think it was, you know, at first it was kind of like, you know, hey, we're oh, hammered. Is this real? Or like what, you know, it was an accident. And then the second one hit. And then shit got real. You know, yeah. everybody's like, um, you know, shut that shit off. You know, team leaders started, you know, like, hey, everybody start getting your shit ready. Like, like we were going to deploy that night, yeah. you know, um, which is not anything, you know, near the case. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was, that's when shit really got real. Cause prior to that, you know, it was pre-war, you know, you were doing stuff because it was a challenge. You were doing stuff because, you know, Hey, you wanted to be the best at this. And, and it was all just like, you know, a comp, it was kind of like a competition and kind of dick measuring contest on a lot of stuff. But then once that happened, you know, it's like, okay, this is, this is relevant. Like all this shit that we're doing, like it's, it's real. Like we're, you know, we're in it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, it's kind of a similar thing. I mean, I was stateside, but but yeah, I mean, it's like that, the exact same thought process. The first one was like, oh, that sucks. You know, didn't really think much of it. And then, yeah, as soon as the second one hit, it was like just a fucking night and day difference. Like, holy shit. Um, did that impact uh, from a deployment standpoint, um, you guys in, in that rotation? Or how, how did you guys respond command-wise? Over there, um, at the time, Oki, Oki, we did, it didn't affect us at all. I mean, we didn't at the time. Yeah, we didn't we didn't do anything. We didn't deploy nothing, guys. It just if anything, it pissed guys off even more that we weren't yeah. we weren't being thrown in the mix on anything. And so, what I mean, what was your first exposure to actually deploying? Was it from Okinawa, or, or how how did your time there kind of go? So there, I just done training deployments, but in two thousand. Two, uh, I transferred. I think it was two thousand. Yeah, it was like, oh yeah, oh two. I, I transferred to First Recon Battalion, and that's let's see. I was in Seer School when the war actually kicked off, and the, so uh, got out of Seer School. And we thought, you know, the war kicking off. We we weren't sure if that was just part of us getting fucked with, or or if or if it was real or what, you know. But um, they quickly. You know, let us know that it's legit, and yeah. we got out of that, and then uh, finished our our work up, and then I went over on on ship, and uh, you know we went in through uh, we went in through Kuwait. I think we spent one night in Kuwait at one of the camps there, and then went up through Basra and down to Afan, 
all the stuff we did, we were down like uh, doing just reconnaissance stuff on on the river there, and then uh, some VBSS stuff on the river as well. Yeah, I mean, again, we were in, in that same fucking spot at the same time, which is yeah. wild. Um, how, how was the jump going from Okinawa to First Recon Battalion? Was like, was there a, a stark contrast? And it was, it was night and day, man. Um, how so? Like I said, like recon. Uh, over in Okinawa at Camp Schwab was, you're just immersed in the culture. That's, that's it. Like that's, you know, looking back, like I wouldn't trade that for anything. You know, you're, you're taught, uh, taught, you know, uh, uh, very harshly the, you know, the history, the culture and all that stuff. Um, hazing's freaking, you know, really, yeah. uh, uh, enlightening over there. But, uh, so you go from that to, um, you know, nobody really had families. You know, you had a couple senior NCOs that had families and stuff out in town. But then you go to Pendleton where the end of the day, you know, guys break and, hey, they go to their families and their kids and, and they just disappear, you know, for the most part, you know. So it's more of like a, a, career, a regular job. And over there it's like, dude, we, you know, you PT in the morning together, you go deal with whatever bullshit during the day and then – you go back and you PT some more and then you eat and then you guys, or you grill steaks together and then you go to the movie and then, you know, you yeah. drink beers and repeat, you know, and that's. So it's like a career versus a way of life. Yeah. yeah. Um, in, in terms of the caliber of dude, uh, was there any, any disparity there or, or was it pretty? No, I think it's, I mean, it's still pretty standard as far as yeah. the, the, the guys, the mindset was just, it was just really different yeah. over there. There's a lot more just kind of at the time, like a real warrior mindset, you yeah. know, what was the worst hazing you got? <laughs> Man. Uh, God, um, the statute of limitations. Nobody's getting, in trouble <laughs> at this point. yeah, no, dude. Um, God, this plus I, I can guarantee it. Nobody fucking does that anymore. Like that shit's gone, you know? Yeah. No, I would, I would, I'll keep it. The, uh, um, you know, the birthday thing was, was, I'm sure you guys probably did something similar where anybody younger than you got the, you know, you broke out the little jet fins and, uh, anyone younger than you on their birthday, they got pinned down and, and, uh, got so many wax, yeah. you know, according to however old they were, each person that was older than them got that many wax. And so, uh, you know, that guy was usually you know, not showing up to work the next couple of days because he couldn't walk. <laughs> yeah. you know, I actually stumbled across a video on my phone that I had somebody sent me of one of those. It's yeah. pretty, yeah, pretty fun. But. Yeah, our, yeah. Birthdays. Uh, we were always big on taping each other up. Like we'd <laughs> use a whole fucking roll of rigorous tape and uh, and would would tape tape your hands to your head, <laughs> um, you know, and, and wrap it around so many times, and then they called it a happy hat. They just like roll it on itself and make a big loop so you. Can, yeah drag them around by a, a tape handle tape to the tape to their head and and you know fucking you know work them over and beat them up and i mean we used fucking mini blast machine and electrocuted each other tabasco sauce on your nuts and asshole i mean it was it's fucking brutal yeah man. there's a lot of that a lot of stuff that happened over there that i mean that first year that first year over there and man i remember like on the weekends um when you know the senior NCOs would get smashed, yeah, we I, I still recall like my roommate and I like we E and E'd from a part a paddle party, yeah, where we swam out like a quarter mile down the beach, hit the yeah. beach, went up into our barracks room, and uh, 
hid under our bed, barricaded yeah. the door, and they came beating on our door, and we're like, dude, we're not going. <laughs> Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. yeah, I mean that shit doesn't happen anymore, though. I mean, I, to me, hazing is one of those things that, um, like with a lot of things, there's there's a happy medium. You know, there's a, there's a way to make it an effective tool and even a bonding mechanism. There's for sure units or groups or people that that go overboard with it and, and take it too far. Um, and there's you know not taking it far enough. You know, from a remediation standpoint in that line of work, which I, I am not naive to the fact that that's pretty unique to, you know, our society and in a lot of places that it's probably not applicable, but in that environment, I think it's a, it's a, an effective tool and, and should be allowed. But, um, all right. So you go, you end up going back to the States, um, you deploy to Iraq, you're up into uh, the Alpha Peninsula. Were there any, uh, operations that stand out uh, in that Iraq deployment that, uh, that were of note that were, that were either hairy or went exceptionally well or horribly wrong. You know, when I went over there, um, we didn't do, we didn't do a whole lot of sexy stuff. I mean, we, we were at this little British, I don't know, it was like a blown out building that we were staying in. Um, and it was like us, we, my six man team were attached to a weapons company and they really didn't know what to do with us. Like yeah. they were like, they had no idea, you know, like what, how to use us and stuff like that. I think we had like a, a radio recon unit attached to us as well. But so we did a couple, um, just like raids on houses and stuff like that. We went to one, uh, the one that was kind of sketchy was, you know, we had a, we had a turp that was attached to us. Um, it was basically like a knock, like a glorified knock and talk where, you know, we had a perimeter, we had a weapons company set around us and stuff like that. And they, um, you know, they, the turp goes up, you know, not, you know, he's communicating through the door. We we're going to search. There's supposed to be a bunch of weapons and stuff there and, um, ends up, you know, uh, they get the, I think there's like two males and a whole mess of females and a couple younger kids, get them all out of the house and the house is clear. So we go in to, you know, clear the house and I go into one room and um, it's like me and one of my teammates were clearing this, this kind of low lit room and I see movement over on the, on the bed. And, you know, I'm like, I'm like, you know, drawn down on this thing and, and uh, ends up being a baby, Holy shit. baby under the, under the covers. They, they just it, left eh? the baby. So I'm like, so, you know, that was, that was, you know, for me, that was kind of, um, kind of threw me off, but we didn't, man, we didn't do much over yeah. there that, on that, on that push. Um, yeah. it wasn't until we got back and, uh, and the boys went back over like a few months later and that's when, um, Fallujah kicked off and, yeah. and everything. And then, and then my team was, they were very active. And yeah. So you, you went back after that? I didn't. Yeah. I, I, we did, we did a little bit of time over there and then, um, and then I, I was set to, that's why my, my enlistment was four and a half. Yeah. I, I extended six months to go over with my team. I was set to get out and, and I was like, I'm, I'm not missing this. And yeah. so, uh, when I came back, I, I got out. Was, was, uh, the lack of, uh, activity part of why you're like, fuck this, I'm getting out or, or. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, well, it was that. And then I had also, um, part of my agreement, I was, you know, I was married and, uh, my wife didn't want me to go over. Oh, really? You know? And, and I was like, look, you know, I was, 
like this was my plan. You know, like this was my my plan for my life was to to be a recon marine and and to do this. And I've I've got my shit pushed in for the last you know four years and. You know, now the Super Bowl's here, and I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. Yeah. So I made a deal that, hey, let me enlist for six more months, go over there, get a chunk with the boys, and then, uh, you know, they'll look at getting out. So yeah. that kind of solidified it. When did you get married? I was uh, God, 2000. I'm going to get in trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, 2000. Uh, would have been 2001. So it was after you came in. Yeah, so yeah. it was in uh, dive, it was a day after dive school. Oh, okay. And was it somebody you grew up with, or you met while you're uh, a friend of my cousin's actually? Oh, really? Yeah, I was back on leave on uh, Christmas uh, one year, and we just hung out and hit it off and yeah. stuff. So oh, that's wild. And that was fucking twenty years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Twenty plus. Yeah, we'll just call it twenty plus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So you you come back. Um, not a whole lot happens over there. You get out. What was your uh, kind of plan from that point and, and transition ultimately into Customs and Border Patrol? Well, you know, I got out, tr- tried sticking in Southern California for a while as like personal training, and and uh, and that that was that was a mess, you know, uh, dealing with the people that you know down there that just wanted a trainer, and I could I couldn't couldn't deal with the you know just you know, the lack of effort that people put out. Um, so I uh, moved back to Kansas City, um, started going to school because, you know, that's what you do when you get out. If you're squared away, you get out of the military and go to school. So I went, I was studying engineering, had an internship, um, was driving limos and stuff too for my buddy on the side. And I was doing good in school and then, but I was miserable, man. I was, cir- I was circling the drain. I was, I was drinking all, every night, just, you know, it was a bad scene. You know, and, and my wife realized, you know, like just saw me, you know, declining and, and, uh, it's just, you know, not being around that team environment, not being around the fellas, you know, nobody's, I'm not having to live up to any standard. Um, and, and, and then she found, you know, she found border patrol was hiring. I'm like, dude, I am not, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that's going to stand at the checkpoint and harass Marines when they're trying to go back on base. And like, it's not me. I'm not going to wear this pickle suit. And, and then she found Bortac. And, and, uh, so I looked at it and she's like, yeah, you can do a lot of the same stuff that you did. And, you know, it looks like it seemed, you know, kind of a team environment. And so I looked into it more and it, and it, you know, as advertised, it was, you know, you, I couldn't find much about it on the internet, but I saw some, you know, a little bit of research, saw some stuff and I was like, that looks cool. So I set my sights on that and, and, uh, went after that. Yeah. Um, what was that process like back then as far as from when you said, okay, I'm going to do it. Like, did, did it take a while to, yeah, it's, I actually, I actually, I applied and it took close to a year. Oh, um, sure. so I, I pretty much wrote it off. I'd start, you know, applying for some little local police departments, stuff like that. And then I got the call and they were like, uh, you know, you got, here's the offer, uh, Calexico, California, and uh, booming metropolis. <laughs> oh, dude, I was like, I was like, I'm not familiar with you know. I'm like, <laughs> I, I put in for, I applied for San Diego, and uh, they're like, well, you know, we're, it's basically like a suburb of San Diego, and I, you know, I'm like, dude, Three I lived, I lived away. in San Diego. I'm like, I don't remember that suburb. So I look out on the map. I'm like, dude, that's way in the middle of nowhere. I was, yeah. And I asked, you know, I was just said, hey, can I just put, be put on the? I've waited this long. Can I just wait another? two weeks or a month until San Diego up, opens up. And, 
no, it was like, take this now or, you know, leave in two weeks for this or, or you're dropped from the hiring. So, yeah. so I took that. And so you go through, uh, all the, all the normal fucking stuff for, uh, you know, I'm assuming you went through Fletzy in Atlanta. Uh, this was in Artesia, oh, okay. New Mexico. They, yeah. So they have their own federal, uh, boot camp if you will or it used to be i think it used to be done glencoe um and then they i can't remember when they moved it to artesia but yeah. it's been artesia for you know now it's been probably 15 years or so and what is the uh, the initial training called uh it's just like i don't know border patrol it's just the border patrol academy okay and how long is that uh man they change it i think when i was there i think it was five months yeah so um and it's and then they went to a transition to a way uh, where it's shorter if you were nativo. Um, I wasn't, so. What is that? Just a native speaker, Spanish oh, speaker. So. Um, what is the, I guess, the gist of the academy? I mean, like, what, are you, what all are you learning? It's just a lot of, a lot of the law, um, firearms, law, firearms, and then uh, the Spanish yeah. um, primarily. So, I mean, it, it seems like that's a big component to being a Border Patrol agent, um, or, or maybe the biggest is is the legalities of it all. Is that a safe? A yeah. Safe? Yeah, that's that's a lot is, you know, like, you can go in there and know the language, but, you know, just learning, you know, the ropes as to, you yeah. know, how to operate, how, what, what you can legally do, what you cannot do, and stuff like that, you yeah. know. Um, and wh where were your, so your first duty station was at Calexico? Yeah. Doing what? I was just a line agent there for, um, you know, until I could get a tryout with uh, Bortac. That was what three years. It was uh, at the time. It was two years. They were yeah. running two courses a year. I actually, I I applied. I had like one year, three hundred and fifty days. So I, you know, I thought, you know, I've got a decent background. I'd put that on my application on my memo, and maybe they'll waive like four or five days. And, I didn't even get a fuck you back. <laughs> I didn't get nothing, man. They didn't even acknowledge it, you yeah. know. Um, so I had to wait another six months um, till till I got a tryout. But that's since been waived um, now, okay. which is they finally got smart and yeah. now we'll waive up to. I think it's like a, if you have a background of some sort, we'll waive up to like a year. So you have to, you'll have to spend at least a year doing normal normal border patrol stuff. Yeah, but it's honestly, man, it's like. Um, it's real important, you know. I mean, that your clock starts when you when you get you know hired and you and you uh, go when you EOD, so your entry on duty. So um, that clock starts. So then you go to the Border Patrol Academy. That's five months, you know. Then you come back. You're in like uh, Post Academy. That's like a month or two, and you're just learning like the your air, you know, your AOR. Yeah. And then you spend like another month with a journeyman. So. Um, at that point, you know, you're already, now you're, you put your application in and you're training up for, and your tryouts right then and there. So, yeah. you know, so that first year goes by fast now. Yeah. And so you, I mean, you realistically could spend uh, a couple of months on the job and go right into BORTAC basically, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, like what you said, work on the line, like, like what is it does a typical shift or day or week like in that first year? That's you know it varies on where um, that varies on where you are uh, um, stationed. Um, for Calexico, I mean, you had the uh, the uh, Rex is oh, sniffing right. around here, Me meandering around the studio. Yeah, 
Um, but it, it varies on your duty station. So for Calexico, you know, you might be stationed in, or, you know, you might be assigned in town, which was always fun. You know, there's foot chases and hopping through backyards and just, you know, just a lot of chaos. Um, Did you get into any like uh, physical mix-ups in, in those in that early on? You know, we had a riot when I was, uh, when I was in uh, the FTU, the field training unit. We had a riot downtown that was pretty cool, but a bunch of... Uh, bunch of i don't know they i think they're hired people out of berkeley is what most of them are but um we had a riot so that was pretty chaotic but you know you got into little you know little riffs and stuff like that with all the you know the a lot of the guides and the little gangbanger wannabes and stuff like that yeah. but any like legit fights not really not really um all right so you do you know, a year and change there, um, pretty standard stuff. At at that time, this is what two thousand four. Yeah, five. Yeah, four, no, five. that's no. It's, I'm sorry, two thousand seven. Seven. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, like, from your, I guess, perspective at, at that point, border, like, kind of looking back on it, did you have much of an opinion as to what was going on there and, and what we as a society and, and nation from a statute or protocol standpoint, how, how we're handling it. Did you, did you think much about that then? I did, man. Just it was, like, it was a job, job and I, I was so, I was so naive and clueless. Like looking back, I remember moving down there and I thought, you know, I was like, man, I could, I could like live in Mexicali. I could live in Mexicali for a fraction of the price save some money and work. And then I got down there and, you know, it's like, dude, you're not going to live in Mexico. <laughs> it's yeah. like, so, but that's how clueless I was to, yeah. you know, to the border and how things were. You're like, I had no idea, man. I was yeah. just a Kansas kid, you know, and like clueless, you yeah. know, but. How, how would you rate the, we'll call it the problem that is the border then versus now? Um, man, that's, you know, it's, and I, I got to be careful about like what I say because I'm, um, you know, I've got my own opinions on stuff. But uh, with uh, being blessed to talk about this, I, um, it's 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 definitely um, a challenge. Uh, it's it's uh, I don't know. You know, people always ask me what the answer is, but man, it's it's so it's so it's so big and so complex that um, could you put an X factor on? what it was then versus now like if it's if it's worse how many times worse it is um yeah i i don't know man it's it's just shifted you know the whole dynamic of of what things were uh then versus now it, it, it's i don't know like, like well so i guess you know back then what were the top two or three things that uh, that you guys were concerned with versus now like what is the difference um I mean, you still have, you know, with the, the legalization in a lot of places with the, the, the marijuana, I mean, that's, you don't see hardly any of that anymore. Um, but, and that was, that was always kind of a big thing back then, you know, like that was, that was coming through a lot and that was a big push, but, um, the, uh, the flow of, you know, the, the illegal aliens coming across was, I mean, that was never really, um, I don't know how, I don't, I don't, I've never really paid attention to the numbers or anything like that just because, you know, um, I don't know. I, I've always just been one that's just, I just go and, you know, 
we do our, our assignments, our jobs and stuff like that. And, and the numbers on that stuff, in my opinion, can be skewed so much, um, to get an accurate read on that stuff. It's kind of, I don't know. I think it gets kind of political, yeah. you know? Yeah. It gets used as a football. Hey guys, I wanted to uh, talk about something that I've incorporated into my daily routine, my morning routine that has had a remarkable impact on my life. Uh, it's called BioPro Plus. Uh, it's a non-synthetic HGH uh, treatment. And, uh, you know, every year after puberty, your HGH levels naturally drop uh, and exponentially sometimes uh, can even drop by, by 50% by the time you're 35. Uh, I train jujitsu three or four times a week. I lift three or four times a week. And BioPro Plus, uh, without question, uh, enhances my ability to train more uh, days per week, harder, recover faster, uh, enhance performance. I cannot say enough good things about this product. I've been taking it for a few months. Uh, it's, it's remarkable, and I will continue to, to do so. Um, if you want to, uh, you know, perform better, look better, feel better, uh, I, I can't stress it enough. I, I've tried BioPro Plus, uh, and I encourage you to go to bioproteintech.com, uh, and if you want to get $30 off your first order, use the code MikeDrop, M-I-K-E-D-R-O-P. And again, that's bioproteintech.com. I cannot stress enough. This stuff has uh, been a game changer for me as I've gotten older. Well, all right. So once you, you screen, you go to Bortac. Um, I know some of it you, you can only talk about so much in terms of the process and, and what that's like. But can you walk us through what that was like going through, uh, getting picked up, and then ultimately trying out and, and what that whole pipeline looks like? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I screened in Calexico. Um, and then went to the Bortac selection in 2009. Um, and you know, it's just, you do a screening, it's like a run, a mile and a half run, uh, some pushups, pull-ups, sit-ups and, uh, firearms and then like a swimming qual. And then, uh, I uh, went down to, you know, the course, I think the time they take like the top 100, I think they accept a hundred or accepted a hundred applicants. I think we had maybe 75 or so show up, you know, it's oh, really? like, it's like any other selection, you know, like seems like a good, you know, you have the guys that it's a good idea and they like the, you know, it's to say that it's cool it. until it comes time to, to do it, you know, yeah. and then, you know, whatever, something family issue comes up or thanks for love, buddy. Um, you know, something comes up and they can't make it or, yeah. you know, there's a handful of guys probably do legitimately get injured or something. But, um, yeah, so about 75 showed up. Uh, we had, God, I think after breakout night, we probably went down to about you know, maybe 28, 25 to 28 after the first night. Is that uh, kind of like the stereotypical Hell Week breakout thing where it, yeah, it, it gets, modeled after that? Um, you know, we've pulled from each, um, branch, you know, we've taken little, uh, tidbits from each branch of, you know, their special operations, uh, selections and stuff like that, um, and kind of made it molded into what we have. Um, and it's evolved over the years, but yeah, it's, it's just a night, you know, or, you know, if you haven't, if you haven't experienced that, it's, it's, uh, I'm sure a lot of people just, you know, yeah. deer in the headlights and what's the quickest way out of here, you know, yeah. between you know, explosions and gunfire and flashbangs and gas and exercises and people yelling and, you know, just, 
yeah. pure hell, you know, so. So you guys lost two-thirds of the class. Yeah, and that's pretty standard. I mean, you, you're down to a, a pretty manageable number after, you know, the first 48 hours in you, your class. You look around, and there's, you know, there would be like 20 dudes there. Yeah. Um, I think we graduated, uh, I think we graduated 12 or 13. Oh, wow. Well, uh, so 75 start, 12 or 13 finish. How long is the selection? Uh, back then we were, I think it was, was it five or six weeks? Um, now what they do is you'll go down there and you'll do a uh, selection phase, which is, I think it's about three weeks. And that's, you know, it's like a straight up selection where it's, you know, you're doing some uh, individual events, you know, your performance events and stuff like that. And then you'll have some uh, team events where, you know, you're, you're looking to see how dudes, you know, work as a leader, how they're, you know, how they work as a teammate, how they, you know, how they think critically and stuff like that. Um, while under a lot of pressure and, yeah. you know, the, the uh, unknown distance rocks and swims and, runs and stuff like that and and then you know the guys that make it through that uh you know at the end they have you do have guys that go through it and they get non-selected you know i think last class i think we had like two or three dudes that made it clear through all of that and then you know at the end they get you know commander's call and they have to stand in front of the man and it's like dude you, you completed everything you passed but you know you're just not one of us you're just not one of us and is that a collective decision by the staff like they kind of meet and say so they, yeah, they have a grading um, system now that, and it's all like, I haven't taken part of it uh, since they've gone to this, but it, the guys seem to like it. It's like a, they have a tablet and they just, you know, as they observe stuff, they enter it into this database and it just kind of formulates, you know, uh, you know a, a decision and then they discuss it and then they make that call. But yeah, it's good, man. I, I, I love it. I think it's great because it's no longer uh, a course where, Hey, you just go suck it the fuck up for five weeks. And if you don't quit, you make it, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, so it, it's, it's good. I like it. Yeah. Um, for your time going through that comparative to everything that you'd done in the military, how would, how would you stack the two against each other? Like was one more challenging than the other? Um, you know, I'd say like BRC, um, well, well, BRC and both, you know, combat dive school were both, um, I would say were both more difficult. Um, but you know, the challenge with, uh, I don't know, it's, it's different. It's, it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's a solid kick in the junk, you yeah. know, um, it's, it's legit. I'm. I mean, I have, I know some, some team guys that, that I tried to get in and, and they tapped, you know, they, really? yeah, they, oh. and I was, I mean, I was, I was disappointed. I, I, I get it. You know, I mean, like they're trying out, you know, 10, 15 years after they've gotten out. So they've got aches and pains and stuff like that. But yeah. I mean, it's still, you know, disappointing to, to see some of your guys not, not yeah. get through it, but it's, it's, it's a legit course yeah. for sure. How many uh, instructors are there? Oh man, they, um, they'll have like a, I think they have a unit, uh, out there that, uh, they, they kind of rotate cycles. Right. So, um, at any given time they'll have, I don't know, I think they'll have a pool of like maybe eight cadre and then they'll bring in detailers from other sectors. Yeah. Um, I've gone out there and helped uh, in the past with like CQC or patrolling or something like that. So speaking of that, I mean, how is it? The, the the selection broken down is it broken down into phases or or is it just one block of 
Yeah. So they, you'll do the selection. Um, that's all just like, like I mentioned those activities and stuff. And then, then those guys that make it past that, they'll go to their, go back to their units, um, where they'll kind of sit in a, you know, kind of no man's land for like, you know, two months. Um, they're not operational, you know, they're just doing busy work, you know, they're cleaning up the equipment. They're making sure all our vehicles are operational stuff like that. We're, we're taking them out to the range, keeping them proficient on, on their firearms, getting them schooled up and stuff and prepared for the, uh, for the follow on, um, training. Uh, but that's where, you know, they'll do, um, they'll do their advanced, they'll go back and do their advanced firearms, low light, all their vehicle interdictions, air interdictions, all the air ops, um, CQC, all that stuff, you know, and that's yeah. where, and that's now, I think that's, God, I think that's like two months, two or three months. So that it's a three week selection. You make it through that, you go back to whatever unit, I guess the, I'm a little confused on it. So now, uh, and maybe it's the same, uh, when you went through, but w when you screen, wherever you screen from, you go back to that and you're yeah. that, that, okay. You're just in holding there until they have their, uh, you know, they have their, um, their next, their next phase, um, which I can't, I can't remember what they're calling that. Uh, now they just revamped it this year. So it'll be slightly different. So for for what you do know, how does that work then? So you go back and you're in a holding pattern for a couple of months until you start what? So until you start that that follow on training. So you're you're back. So for example, um, last year we sent I think from my sector we sent 22 dudes. Uh, we had um, one. I think we had what did we get? Oh, we got one guy back. Jesus. Um, we got one guy, we had two guys, I think one or two guys get non-selected. We got one guy back and then, um, and then he's back for two months. Then he goes on to that advanced training for like two months. Um, and that's back. Now they're doing that back in El Paso. Okay. Um, once they complete that, then they, then they're tabbed. They can come back and be operational at that point. And they're okay. on a year probation. Okay. So for, for the, the, total process i mean it's about six months from when you go start selection until you can get tabbed and and go back to a unit it's about a six month process. yeah yeah once you go back and you're on that year probation uh does each sector have its own bortac team i assume um there's let's see not each sector but uh you've got you've got a few teams down in el paso or i'm sorry a few teams down in texas um i think we got what laredo del rio um, RGV, Rio Grande Valley, El Paso, then El Paso, the SOG team, uh, headquartered out of El Paso. You've got Tucson, uh, sector, Yuma sector, San Diego, uh, and then, uh, Detroit. We got one up North. Um, is the, there's only one Bortac unit on the entire Northern? Uh, I think there's one active. I yeah. think I want to say up in the Northwest, they had a small contingent, but, um, I don't know if that's still a thing yeah. or not. That's one thing you, you never really hear much about. I mean, what, what is the border patrol presence on the Northern border? I mean, I've never been up there. I can't crazy. really speak to what the guys up there do. Um, I know they work a lot with uh, a lot of the other agencies and stuff like that. Yeah. Doing stuff with them. Do you have any idea what the numbers presence is of border patrol agents on the entire Northern border? I have no idea. Do you know what it is on the Southern border? No clue. <laughs> I'm so out of touch with that. And I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't, I, I really, all I can, I mean, I can speak to like our unit and stuff like that. Yeah. But 
Well, I, I guess so on that. I mean, do you know, can, can you say, do you know uh, how many BORTAC agents there are CBP wide? I, th- I think um, I saw a number the other day. I want to say there was like 200 really active, something like that. It's but, that small of a group. Well, you, I mean, yeah. And within that, you know, you've got uh, supervisors and, you know, uh, guys that, you know, uh, I don't think there's that many actual like door kickers. I'm yeah. not sure what that number would be that it's pretty it's fairly small but yeah you know the the teams you know they're stationed you know where we are but you know the guys flex you know the guys get deployed you know throughout the throughout the you know throughout the country and and uh do some overseas stuff too oh really yeah. can you talk about any of that um yeah i mean there's the the sog guys the guys out of uh, el paso typically get tasked with most of that um, you say where overseas? Um, they're, they're just working in like advisory roles and stuff like that. Um, but they're, you know, Central South America, okay. uh, Africa, yeah. uh, Middle East, wow. Europe. Shit, I had no idea. But, uh, How many guys, SOG guys are there? A handful? No, nah, there's, I mean, they, their numbers fluctuate, but um, they're, I don't, I don't know. I'd just, I'd just be guessing, but I think they have, I don't know, two or three full teams, but. Those guys are those guys are freaking busy, man. I, How many guys are on a team? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how, what their structure is. I mean, ballpark. Probably, probably twelve, fifteen, yeah. maybe twelve. Um, I guess for for the listener, and, and frankly, fuck, for, even for me. I mean, what is Bortac's mission statement? Like, why do they exist, and what is their their sole purpose? So initially, it was it was stood up in 1984 um, to help like combat some uh, some like rioting stuff and some unrest in like some prisons and stuff like that. But it quickly evolved into uh, what it is today, and now it's um, the mission statement. And I should have, I guess, done my homework and like memorized that. I'm probably gonna get. I mean, even if it's just it. general. But no, we do. Um, it's a lot of uh, um, you know, you do a lot of regular border patrol stuff but then you also you're serving um high risk you know warrants for um there's alien smuggling drug smuggling you know vehicle interdictions um uh and then you know you're supporting a lot of other agencies marshals and what's that like u.s marshals and Uh, you know a lot with uh like for us locally you know you support the dps um you know, some of the other three leather agencies and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, I don't know where I was going with that, but well, I guess, you know, like, let's say the, f- the fucking president shows up and he's like, Oh, Hey, what do you guys do? Like, what would you tell him? You know? Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, so we, we do dig pros for, um, a lot of the, aid, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> dignitaries that come in. Uh, one of the coolest things I got to do was, uh, I was, uh, on the the QRF on a Blackhawk for Trump when he came in to uh, visit Yuma. Oh, no shit. So we were sitting there. I got some pretty cool pictures, you know, sitting there on the you know, on the side of the Blackhawk, just, you know, flying around overhead, you know, in case shit, you know, popped off. And yeah. you know, when Pence would come in town, you know, we'd, uh, you, know, you know, spearhead his uh, response and stuff like that. So yeah. doing some of that, you know, dig pro stuff. Um, but, and then, you know, we'll also do uh, some protection details for, you know, if there's threats on 
people yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. From a, I guess like an operational standpoint, um, I know you said you guys do normal, normal border patrol stuff, but is there like when you're working with other agencies, is there kind of a rhyme or reason to, I guess, going back to that mission statement, like, are you doing a lot of raids? Are you, are you combating, you know, is, is it mostly drugs and, and human trafficking or is there more to it than that? It's most, you know, a lot of the, if there's, um, if the risk is elevated, then, you know, it, it uh, will usually, we'll get the call on that stuff, you know? Um, so what, like, what would be an example of that? Um, active, <clears throat> active shooters. You know, we had, uh, we had two active shooters, um, in Arizona, uh, some months back where, you know, dude just went into a place, you know, just opened fire on, on, a a facility, um, just killed, killed a handful of people and then fled off into the desert. So that's kind of one of our, our big skill sets is, uh, like tack tracking, you know, tactical tracking. Um, and then the capabilities that we have, obviously, you know, like with the, uh, at night, you know, being able to, um, utilize other assets and stuff to track people down and, and then just guys on the ground. And, you know, so, um, you know, we went out and apprehended that guy out in the desert. Um, that was a pretty, that was a good one. Yeah. Um, uh, and you guys use dogs also, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We had a dog on that one. Did he get, get in on it? Uh, yeah, he did. He did. It was kind of weird. Um, cause, uh, he went, it was, it was different. I, I, I hate to speak for our, our canine handlers cause I'm, I'm not an actual canine handler, you know, on a team. So, um, but you play one on TV. Yeah. yeah it's weird. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so yeah, we used, we used the dog on that. Um, it was effective. We, we took the guy into custody. Um, and God dang, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're glad, you're glad that those things end, but, and it's, it's, it just hits home, you know, you know that, it, you know, at the end of something like that, you know, that you, you take this guy into custody and then you're like, you know, you're just, you know, you do your job, but God, you're, you're so pissed because, you know, the guy just got done killing, you know, a handful of people and, and there's a bunch of other backstory to it too, but, um, yeah, just bad dudes. But so this was uh, like a normal law enforcement application, though, right? It wasn't. Was he a an illegal? No, yeah. no. He was just. He was. Just, he was a U.S. citizen. Just. Yeah. You know. But we get called for a lot of that stuff just uh, from other agencies because you're there. And you there's a lot of agencies that don't have the the training equipment capabilities yeah. assets that yeah. we have, so we get tasked with a, a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So I mean, it's almost like being a uh, like a SWAT member in in the sector but you're it's almost like a jack of all trades because you're doing normal border patrol stuff you're doing regular law enforcement swat applications it's kind of a mixed bag huh yeah no it's yeah it's you're you're still doing you know we're still responsible for our all of our border patrol stuff but then you know you do get calls uh to support and 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 do some of that stuff so so is is the bortac tab and capability a, a collateral duty the way SWAT is if it's not a full-time thing like so cops that are also on the SWAT team is that kind of how it's broken down no it's for us fortunately it's a full-time like we're full-time if you're I mean our op tempo is is non-stop and that's why you know going back to the morning routine it's like do your some days you know it starts off with hey this is going to be an admin day so you're going to get all your stuff done and then next thing you know it's you know you're scrambling because you know somebody decided to you know hey we need 
four guys for a dig pro and then all of a sudden hey this you know whatever such and such vehicle was spotted here we need guys to go get eyes on it and then a something landed at this house we were going to serve a warrant um you guys need to be up at two in the morning you know so your day is just like my day changes sometimes up to three times a day yeah you know like what you thought it was going to be and it's you know that's what's that's one of the big challenges man is is uh just bouncing around yeah you know What, what is your schedule like in terms of days on days off is that uh, on paper it's uh i think we're you know we're uh typically days you know monday through friday but oh really it's never i, I in what 15 years i don't know a pay period where i actually worked what you know what was on what we were scheduled for that it's always been more yeah, yeah. well it's just, just more and or you know just it's juggled right or left and yeah. and switched around and stuff so weekend you work weekends often um, it varies yeah. on what we, what we have going on. And, and a lot of times, you know, like for us, you know, we're on bad guy time. So, you know, if stuff decides to pop off on the weekend, then, Hey, we're, we're on the weekend. And yeah. So are, are you on call all the time? Uh, we do rotations. Yeah. What is that rotation like? Uh, we usually do like a week on, you know, week on and then you know, a couple of weeks off. Oh, okay. So, um, can you list the the BORTAC capabilities? Like, is there a like a, from, say a bullet point standpoint uh, of all the different things that you're capable of? Um, it's it's going to be you know if you took um, I'd say if you imagine like a regular SWAT team and then probably mixed it with you know like I don't know like Ranger, Ranger Regiment or something like that. We're kind of somewhere in between there okay. um, as far as you know. We have the patrol canine. Uh, uh, capability we have uh tracking dogs we have uh, detection dogs um you know all the hearse capabilities you know we've got the the blackhawks that we fly in typically you know we'll do routine flights two or three four times a week um and basically serve as like a qrf on stuff um and then you know you've got your you know PMOs, your precision marksman observers, I think is the political, the political uh, term for snipers. Um, and then does uh, there need to be one? I don't You're fucking know. shooting people. <laughs> yeah. There's but, really no way to church that yeah. up. You're fucking shooting people. Yeah. From, um, from long so we got you know you got the the you know that capability. We have um, like really exclus- uh, exclusive uh, or extensive uh, breaching program which is, you know, it's gotten us, you know, some good training with some of the other units and stuff like that. So, um, and then I'm trying to think what else, you know, hearse capability. Um, I think that's about it. Do you guys do, uh, like rope certs and mountaineering climbing type? That's mostly like Borstar. We do it. I mean, we'll do, we do rappelling, um, obviously fast roping stuff, but the rappelling, um, we've done some occult, uh, assault, uh, climber stuff in the past um, with uh, this is years ago with like HRT, but yeah. um, the ropes experts are the the Borstar, Borstar guys. Those yeah. guys are they're ninjas with their yeah. all their knots and yeah. little contraptions and stuff. You know. Yeah. Um, before we get into Borstar of, of what you can talk about and what you know about them, um, is is Bortac broken down similar i know you talked a little bit about the structure but as far as like com- compared to say the military where there's squads platoons is is it less rigid 
that way where it's like because there's so many different things that you do and, and could go here or there like you're almost a jack of all trades and so is it not as as rigid that way it's yeah so i'd say one you know like a big difference is you know like when you're in a team in the military it's like that's your that's your team yeah. and, and that's doesn't change no it doesn't uh for us <clears throat> it's just there's so many challenges with doing that you know um because you know you know chris has you know tuesday off for an anniversary and you know dave's got you know his kids soccer on the you know so everybody's schedule is constantly you know, like got holes in names what's that yeah <laughs> chris and dave yeah but uh you know so you know you're trying to juggle that and keep team integrity a hundred percent is, I mean, we've tried it. We've tried like, okay, now your gold team and your black team and your team one, your team two. And then, and uh, man, it, it, it boils down to like all of our operators are trained to the standard, you know, to the same standard, to the yeah. same level. And we have our guys broken down basically in regions um, with, with the same capabilities uh, sprinkled throughout. Yeah. And when something, you know, whoever's on call, something pops off, you know, those guys get the call. We have guys that, you know, you have a half and a gaff and then, you know, you scramble to whatever your response is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and you usually have your, you know, your solid core of your team guys, but then you may have one or two from the other team that trickle in that, hey, they're covering for somebody or something like that. And so w within your sector, which is Tucson, right? Yeah. How many BORTAC agents are in the Tucson sector, can you say? We've got, got operators, we've probably got like, probably in the 20, like 20 something. Yeah. And then you have, you know, you have some guys that have got, you know, other duties that, hey, one guy's, you know, taking a, you know, he's got whatever uh, kid stuff. So he's in the armory um, for a year or two. You got another guy detailed to an op shop. Um, another guy filling in, you know, in, in a different role. So, yeah. I mean, so ultimately it's a very small, small yeah. unit though. So you guys, that, that group of 20 or so is super tight, I assume. Yeah. Like you guys know each other as, as much as a platoon would in the military. Yeah. It's, it's close. And, you know, dudes, you know, um, of course it's, it's different now, man. Like when you start out, you know, you have your, you know, your young guys, you're all starting out together. So you have similar experiences. Your, your families are all the same age and stuff like that. And it's like, and then time flies. And now I'm looking around and I'm like, I'm the old crusty dude in there. And it's like, yeah, um, you know, these guys are starting <laughs> to have babies and yeah. you know, you're just like, damn, I'm, yeah. you know, I blinked and now I'm one of the old dudes, you yeah. know, man, I know it. You know, some of the people we've come across in the desert that this guy, if we wouldn't have found him, like in the middle of nowhere, if we wouldn't have found this dude, he's gone. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained. Covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Every story eventually comes to an end. This June, hear the final episode of Season 2 of the hit podcast series, In the Red Clay, Durham. In the Red Clay tells the unbelievable true story of Billy Sunday Burt, the most dangerous man in Georgia history. In the podcast that people are calling riveting, incredibly moving, captivating, and addicting. Binge seasons one and two of In the Red Clay now, wherever you listen.